Welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, your host. So glad to have you with me. And also on the show today, you know him, you love him, Jason Cochran, the editor-in-chief of Fromers.com. Hey, Jason, welcome back to the podcast. Hello again, Pauline. Hot summertime talk. Hot summertime, yeah. Uh, well, that made me think of of a, of a somewhat, not really risque, but very funny article we have on Fromers.com right now. I never thought we'd ever cover something from Pornhub, but they have put together a hilarious new site of tours through famous art museums uh, where you can see people's naughty bits. Or models the classic nudes, the, the best classic nudes. nudes. <laughs> they do walking tours or guide audio tours, showing you the the best nudes. <laughs> I, and and I, I must say, their standards are pretty wide. I mean, they're not just looking at bodies <laughs> from today's uh, body standards. They're looking, you know, you can have all kinds of body parts. So at least there's that. I, yeah. I give them that. That uh, yeah, you know, it was a little. I, you don't know this, but a little inside talk. When we were editing this piece, we were really worried about putting the word Pornhub in too many times because huh. we were afraid that, you know, the search engines would think it was, you know, a naughty page, a naughty article. So oh, we only said it wow. once just in case, you know, all the search engines thought that we were peddling something, you know, uh, indiscreet. <laughs> but Isn't it is the people who put it together from Pornhub. Yeah. Well, then they have good senses of humor. I mean, there's some funny things in their tours. But anyway, so read the article on Fromers.com. So that's one of the good news things in travel. I think, why not? Why not have erotic tours of, of museums? That may get some people who never would want to go into a museum into museums. So I count that as a, as a good thing. Another <laughs> good thing that we seem to be the only site that covered was Biden's recent executive action uh, and then the Department of Transportation's response. Biden put forward this massive executive action. And the, the basic idea behind it was that in many industries in the United States, the little guys can't compete anymore, that we, we've become a country of monopolies. And so to undercut some of the destructive power of some of those monopolies, the government is going to put some caps on some things. And when that comes to travel, this is all great news for the travelers because the Biden administration is finally going to step in and remove some really annoying things that should have been regulated ages ago that anybody who travels wants regulated. I'm talking about, you know, you have to pay this massive luggage fee and then your luggage gets lost. That should mean you get your darn luggage fee back. You would think that was in the law, but it wasn't. Or you paid for the Wi-Fi. It didn't work. But they didn't automatically return your money to you. You you, you had to fight them to try and get your money back. Uh, th- those are two of the things. And then there's a lot of really like behind the scenes things. And I I apologize if you're hearing construction in the background. This is my life in New York City right now. They've been doing facade work. (laughs) Anyway. You can barely hear it. Yeah. Good. I can barely hear it. Good. So they're going to be doing some behind the scenes things, which should hopefully make air travel more competitive and therefore cheaper. And uh, I was talking to uh, Kurt Ebenhock of Travel Fairness Now, and he was telling me about a situation when 
JetBlue decided to try and start flying from Atlanta. Anybody who knows the Atlanta hub knows it is owned by Delta. And uh, Delta is very powerful there. And so when JetBlue tried to come into that market, which would cause Delta to have to lower their prices to compete, what the airport did was they gave JetBlue two gates on opposite sides of the airport from one another, which tripled the amount of money that JetBlue had to pay uh, for all of the services it needed to do to, uh, to service its planes. Usually in an airport, all of the gates for one carrier are together because, you know, that they need they need that to better service their planes. Uh, So this was an example of really kind of underhanded dealings to make it impossible for JetBlue to gain a foothold in Atlanta. And therefore, it kept Atlanta airfares high. So, so Pauline, was that the ex- implication that the airport did Delta's bidding? Is that what people are alleging? That's the and, implication. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And so this is going. This executive order is going to stop those behind-the-scenes shenanigans and is going to make those processes of assigning gates a lot more transparent. So those are two of the things that it's it's going to do. But basically, what Kurt told me from Travel Fairness Now is. Right now, you have an administration that isn't putting the fox in charge of the hen house. For the last four years, we had people in government regulating the industries they used to be part of. And that's not happening right now. So, you know, there were all kinds of laws on the books that just weren't being enforced uh, in terms of what the airlines could and couldn't do because you had all of these former airline executives in charge. So I I think it's going to be a new day for travelers. I think things are going to be more transparent. A lot of these ugly fees could go away. Uh, They're also saying that right now on on search engines, often when you look for a flight, say you want to go from Chicago to Seattle and back, best price ticket might be one that is United One Way and Delta Return. But because of the way the airlines have done their contracts with a lot of the online travel agencies, that particular what what we know of as a hacked airfare might not come up because the airline is not allowing for it to come up. Under these new regulations, every single flight will come up, including those of Southwest, which is, it will be a big thing. So people will be able to search on these third-party sites and actually see what's available to them, something that isn't happening now. Now, there, so, is, there are some buts. You know, yes. a lot okay. of this will depend on they've got to draw up these plans. They've got to give them to the various departments uh, of the government that are in charge of making the rules. So this is what he wants. And yes. what will actually happen if, when the sausage comes out the other end, it, it's another question. Uh, I've heard a lot of people complain, are enough with the executive orders? But, you know, this has been happening in our government for maybe 15 years now across two parties and three administrations because Congress just isn't moving. So this is sort of the way it has to get done now until Congress starts defending consumers again in a meaningful way through legislation, regular legislation, bipartisan legislation. These EOs are going to keep coming out. Uh, So this is the way it's got to be done for now. And hopefully it'll work because uh, a lot of these are good ideas in here. 
Some of these things are actually law that was passed by Congress, but because of the way the Department of Transportation was being run, these things weren't being done. So actually, some of the things I just mentioned from the executive order are actually law, but Mm -hmm. the Department of Transportation is charged with taking laws and transforming them into regulations, which then therefore the airlines have to follow. And that's where the ball got dropped in the past. So, yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah. There's also one exciting uh, bit of news for Amtrak. Um, yes. And, then, and that is they're going ins- to try to ensure that passenger trains, Amtrak trains, will be on time more often because, as you may not know, or I mean, the listeners may not know, Amtrak trains will share lines, the rail lines with freight trains. And if a freight train is in the way, the passenger train can't move. It's going to give the passenger trains right of way. So yeah. they'll be able to go through first, meaning freight will follow afterwards since there are no passengers on it, which means Amtrak is more likely not only to be on time, but possibly even a lot better scheduling will be available. You know, you get some of these cities served by one train that leaves in four at four in the morning. That right. has a potential to change if, if this is able to go through. Yeah. Yeah. So very exciting. So that's one of the things we've been covering on Firmers.com. Another thing, and a lot of these things are are based on questions we get from readers. But uh, and we've a common question is, what do I need to show to prove I'm vaccinated in those countries that require that? Uh, that are saying we just want vaccinated people to visit. If you're unvaccinated, please stay away. And that's been a really difficult thing for travelers to figure out because there's such a wide variety of regulations. But can, can you speak to that a little bit, Jason? Right. Um, well, I mean, as, as people know, there is no federal, uh, you know, in America, there's not like a federal proof of vaccination. The federal government has decided it doesn't want to get in the business of validating everyone's vaccination. It's going to let Usually the state or uh, agencies or your healthcare provider do it. The, that causes a bit of a problem when you want to travel because, you know, if you're in a European border guard, now you've got 50 or more different things coming at you of different varieties of proof of vaccination. None of them are really standard. So what Americans are having to do if they want to go to Europe, for example, is uh, usually if it's an EU country, they have to get a basically they convert to the European form of validation certification. And, and, you know, you have to basically apply ahead of time to the country you'd like to go to through their, their tourism channel and say, here's what I've got, proof of vaccination, whatever my state or insurer gave me. Can I please have a paper that says I can come explore? In many cases... They're going through. It takes a couple extra days, but a lot of these European countries know Americans are traveling, they're tourists, they don't have the right documentation, there's no one standard, let's let's give it to them. But we are hearing little isolated cases, especially in smaller countries, of people being denied this. In the case of Malta, we know someone who was not allowed to get paperwork. Now, Malta has one of the highest vaccination rates in Europe. It's an island. They're claiming uh, they have herd, herd immunity. And so I'm sure it's being very protective, not only of that incredible rate it's got going, but you know, it's hard for if they can't stand an outbreak. They're on an island. They have nowhere to send right. people to other hospitals right. if something happens. So they're going to be more defensive. So we are hearing cases of these smaller countries that have more of a reason to be defensive have been turning down Americans based on the paperwork that they've provided. But Which we, they don't it's trust. A couple isolated cases, yeah, and, and yeah, understood. because it's not federal, and it's just a tiny little piece of paper. 
So, yeah, yeah now, real shame. We're, we're, what we're working on um, in the industry is airlines, especially if you're boarding one in America, them pr- pr- creating some sort of validation system so that when you land, you have that to show. Um, and the, so the airlines stateside do the legwork. They know the paperwork right. a lot better than others will. We're moving toward that, but we haven't gotten there yet. Uh, so we're in this yes. weird gray nether zone where it might take a little bit of uh, sleuthing and legwork to get the paperwork you need. But I mean, I, I have like six or eight friends who are in Europe right now traveling who were able to get these documents. So you just hmm. have to make sure you add the time onto your pre-planning to get yeah. these and my, my daughter is getting coming home from Spain today. She's had a wonderful trip. Her her flight back, she sent us a photo, totally empty. They got entire rows of economy class because there was nobody else on the plane except her and her friends. So, you know, you hear about overcrowding returning and all this stuff. Well, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. It's been such an uneven return to travel. It's really hard to guess what the situation will be like when you're out there. Uh, and some weird, away. yeah, yeah. And some weird things happening hurts. Oh my goodness. Can you talk about what hurts has been doing? This is really disturbing. Well, now there was an article in the LA times about a week and a half ago, collecting reports of, uh, customers of hurts who claim that hurts has been padding their bills with fees for things they didn't do or things that they didn't leave dirty. There was a case of someone who was slapped with a $200 fee for smoking when they don't smoke and didn't have anyone in their car. Uh, There was a case of someone who was told the car was clean, drove it off the lot, found very disgusting things underneath the seats, came back, and then were charged a cleaning fee. So there's more and more reports coming out about Hertz charging bogus fees. Not something we've experienced personally, but once I ran this article, I began getting messages from readers um, from around the country reporting similar situations. Someone well, who was charged a smoking fee when they weren't smoking, someone who was, and they, then one reader got it, uh, disputed it with her credit card company. The credit card company took the $200 off and then Hertz, she says, re-levied uh, the fee all over again after all that was done. And then wow. when she complained to Hertz, she, this reader told me, Hertz said she wasn't allowed to rent from Hertz anymore. She was blacklisted. So what does she do? She went to National Rental Car and they matched her status with Hertz. Uh, so huh. now she's going to be a, a loyal national customer. And these is these are all reports. People are alleging this, alleging right. that Hertz says it's 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 not you know in the wrong. Hertz asserts that it's completely legal. But I will note that Hertz went through a lot of financial troubles last year, declared bankruptcy, only yeah. recently yeah. came out of it. Um, so it's it's past money troubles are well documented. Uh, whether or not these uh, money grabs are connected to that, we don't know. Um, or if, well, you know, one, these are just reports of people, but I'm hearing again and again. Response, one other response I saw that there's a, there's an organization called Mouse Savers. It's for people who love the Disney theme parks and they mm-hmm. join this club. They get a lot of information about Disney. They often get discounts to different Disney adjacent things. And every member of Mouse Savers got a letter saying that the Hertz discount that Mouse Savers used to offer would no longer be valid, not only for future rentals. There were people who had Hertz, they rented Hertz cars for a trip in maybe a week, and they were told, sorry, that discount is now gone. You're going to have so to pay the full price. So even though they booked the discount, price. the discount was rescinded after the booking was made. 
Exactly. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah, it's a problem. So I, my advice to people, uh, you know, if you, if you want to use any rental car company, document every little thing about that car before you take it off the lot. Because, <clears throat> you know, take pictures of the floorboards, take pictures of the bumpers in case paint's missing. If you smell smoke at all, make them write it down on your paper mm. before you drive it off the lot. Because how can you prove what something smells like? You know, it's a, it's a right. real hard yeah. thing to disprove or prove after the fact. And that's what happens. Sure. You return your car. Everything seems fine. No one says anything to you. But when you get your bill, it, you know, emailed to you days later or see it on the credit card, then you see the fee because they don't tell you about the fee when you return the car. You must be vigilant to check your bill after the fact as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, so all of that is on Fromers.com. We got the questions at Fromers Roamers, which is our Facebook group, which we invite you all to join. It's a lot of fun. People put up questions about their coming trips and, and often people from those regions will answer them. And I often dip in, Jason dips in and answers them. So it's a, it's a great resource. So we, we hope you'll join us on Facebook too. Thank you, Jason. I'll see you soon. Next guest is Ron Stodgill. He is the author of a really moving, fascinating, terrifically complex article that the New York Times ran. It was called Encounters with Ghosts on Georgia's Golden Isles. Welcome to the Fromer Travel Show, Ron. Oh, thank you, Pauline. Happy to be here. Well, this was such an interesting article because usually, you know, I think one of the bad things about being a travel writer is we often go to places and we write about maybe the beauty of the trees or the how many threads are in sheets and that kind of detritus. But you take us on a journey that goes through so many different layers of history and and you started in a way that that I found very uh, compelling. You say that that you never wanted to go explore Georgia. Why is that? Well, I mean, so and again, thank you for for having me and reading the the piece. And I think that um, as as even as you all have done as travel writers, you know, you and your your dad are very pro much proponents of immersive travel, you know, and yeah. and really just trying to engage it, not necessarily from a thread count on the sheet point of view. But from sort of a real cultural slash historical point of view, and I think as a, and I'm not really a, a travel writer per se. You know, I'm a mm -hmm. journalist, and actually, you, you I've come could have up, fooled me. You did a <laughs> damn good job in this piece. And so, what I try <laughs> not to do, you know, very yeah. intentionally, is actually try to emulate travel writers per se. Right. You know, sure. And I just, um, and I, and I think as an African American, there's always an entry point for me that's going to be very different than than for other people, you know, and I try to, to engage that. So what might really be compelling to, you know, a Caucasian person might feel uh, it might um, strike me in a way that 
that is 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 offensive or or whatever. And so in this case, we were talking about South Georgia. I mean, South Georgia was just a port for um, you know enslaved black people. You know, this is where right. we we had come in, and so uh, and it's also the kind of epicenter of of the civil rights struggle as well. Uh, and so it's just a lot of uh, a swirl of emotion that I didn't really want to lose in writing about this really beautiful place with hmm. by that is by physically, but by contrast conjures up a lot of other very complex, painful feelings. Yeah, me. sure. Yeah, absolutely. But you thought, well, Stacey Abrams, who I think will maybe the first female president. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. We'll see. It's either her or Kamala Harris. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she has somewhat redeemed Georgia. Obviously, it still has problems as a state. And so you decided to go. And as I said, you found so many different layers of history. For example, you went to, and I hope I'm going to get the name right, the Okefenokee Swamp. Yes, I did. I did. And, you've, and you, you write so beautifully about all of the different slave uprisings and times when enslaved peoples tried to rebel and tried to escape through that swamp. Can you tell us a little bit about that history better than I just did? Well, yeah, it's kind of funny, too, because my editor at the Times was like, are you sure you want to go to the Okefenokee? You know, and it just sounded like a place, you know, I'd seen this movie many years ago, Deliverance, you know, and really bad Mm. things happen in the swamps. And so I just kind of... uh, I read and it's it's just there's not much history, not much detail there, but absolutely rather than fleeing north, uh, many African-Americans escaped enslaved people instead of heading north. Some of them just went south, you know, and they wound Mm -hmm. up in Florida and they wound up in in South Georgia and they wound up in the Carolinas. And they kind of, I think the Seminole Indians were already there kind of living in the swamps. But there were like a lot of either kind of rogue military folk who just sort of didn't want to serve and they escaped and they carved out quite a life in the, in the, in the real swampy, dark, dangerous marsh, you know? And so I wanted to write about that. Yeah. But it's, you know, you say swampy, dark, dangerous marsh. You know, we always, there's this phrase, clean up the swamp. But swamps are very beautiful, I find. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I went there to get this other history, but I was mesmerized by the beautiful, you know, there were all alligators and crocodiles and so many Mm. hundreds of species of birds. And it's just the cypress that sort of overhang these really, really narrow canals. Just beautiful. It's worth going to, you know. But what was interesting to me is there was that, that our guy, who was had all sorts of information. She just wasn't familiar with that history. So a lot of African-American history just hadn't been. It just has. If you know it, you kind of know it. Our our historians are more, you know, have been oral historians, you know, passed mm-hmm. on. But like, uh-huh. I don't know. We kind of have been left out in largely, you know, and, and, and there's some great stories about black people and in American history that either have been, they need to be revised, they need to be updated, they need to yeah. be just told. So Aired. I try yeah. to use my my work to do some of that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, you do it in this. Uh, you also go to Jekyll Island, which had been one of the wealthiest enclaves because of mm-hmm. a, a famous club that was there. And then what happened with the beach and how did that lead to a kind of golden era uh, for that island? And I hope I'm getting the island right. Yeah, yeah. No, there was a uh, actually a white Pulitzer Prize winning journalist uh, and I, it, it escapes me. Oh, I, he worked for the um, Pittsburgh paper and he did this very cool investigative story where he wanted he painted himself black and he just started like he went down south to try to experience what it was like to be wow. you know black in the south and during when you know, was this Jim Crow during yeah. Jim Crow and he um, came away very moved you know around particularly around this, you know, that, that, that there was all of this sort of beautiful beaches and he, he couldn't, you know, he was, he was banned from swimming. And so he kind right. of wrote that and it started a, a, a clamor, frankly, that became kind of a, a policy issue. So years, maybe two or three years later, you know, the legislators started to, to move on that and they opened this beach up and it became the, fir- the state's first, you know, segregated beach and for people um, of color because the other beaches were all white only yes yes and because of that it it became a a major tourist destination for black folks right yeah i love those stories you know i love the stories about these kind of black enclaves that are across the country that were born right out of this sort of, you know, out of out of the discriminatory culture. Then it created, you know, the Chitlin circuit where, you know, your Duke Ellingtons and your mm. Louis Armstrong yeah. and and a lot of musicians played. And, and uh, we have a place actually in Michigan that's just like that. It's a family-owned property and it's called Idlewild, Michigan. There's another one in New York, Sag Harbor. There are other ones, you know, in, in um, what is it, the Inkwell. Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard has it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. These pockets yeah. are fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And then like all good travel writers, even though you say you're not one, you got mm-hmm. to go and have an amazing sounding meal. <laughs> uh, t- tell us about the James Beard award winning chef who's who's in that area. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, you never know who you're just going to bump into. So you always kind of you go in there with this itinerary of like, okay, if things don't go right, this is exactly I can knock out these things. And, you know, and those are the things in many cases are like travel logs and they've been can find them in the in the travel guides. But in in what the chamber or the the tourism board is going to guide you to. But then there are other times where if things are really working out and you have fair amount of um, serendipity, you can bump, you know, get a name or a place and Mm -hmm. you can just escape there. And so absolutely this name continued to come up. Uh, Matthew Rayford, who was a a, a renowned chef, you know, and um, but he's He's got he had family that is in the Brunswick area and they had a farm. I think it was several hundred acres at the time. It's not that now, but he returned to this family farm maybe I think six or seven years ago now to take it over. So he's doing, you know, organic 
food. And it's a fascinating story. He's there with his his wife and he's reclaimed the South and he never thought he would go back. He just left basically because he thought it was prejudiced and just oppressive. But he's there and, and now he's an inspiration to the to the community in terms of the, the Geechee Gullah communities. Uh, you know, sure. he does events and, and he's a, f- a fantastic guy. And, and, and I think he'll probably just bring more and more people in. I know I was inspired by his story. It made me want to buy a farm and move outside. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you're a you're a professor at the University of Missouri, right? I am. I am. My father did his first year of university at the at the journalism school there. Oh, is that right? Oh well, they they call it the Missouri Mafia. We're a tight knit (laughs) group. (laughs) Yeah, he ended up switching to NYU to be closer to family. But he did. uh, Okay, well, we can forgive him for that. That's an excellent (laughs) school as well. Oh yeah, we grew up. He grew up in Missouri. It's a wonderful area of the country, and you made me want to go to this part of Georgia, a place oh, I had that. never really thought deeply about before. Uh, but well, you know, I think Pauline, like I think that there's something going on right now, and I think Matthew Beard in the end sort of spoke to it. Like we, there's this sort of convergence of all. Like uh, you, know, when you you look at the George Floyd situation, and then you mm. look at the pandemic. And then you and 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 the sort of um, very rise of the very conservative politics. I think that there's a kind of a a reckoning now around like truth and history and fact. And I think even me, I just was ready maybe to, to 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 confront some of that in a way. I feel a little more empowered to look straight ahead at the pain and 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 reconcile it and move forward within it. Right. Yeah. Wow. Very beautifully said. Yeah, it's it's a moment. It's a moment in history. And I hope we take the right path. You never know at moments like this. You it do, looks you do I mean not. there's you do not think yeah. Yeah, but thank you for your article. I think oh, you're you're gonna you. open a lot of eyes with it. And thank you for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Well, thank you, Pauline. it for this week's show. I do have to make one correction though. And this is this comes from taping a slight bit in advance. Interestingly enough, the day after I put up my article on Malta, the one I discussed in the first segment, Malta changed. They changed their regulations once again and they decided to accept the US's vaccination cards. So, you can go to Malta. But interestingly, uh, our vaccination cards and system may be problematic in other ways. As I've said on the show in the past, we have a really great group on Facebook. It's called Fromers Romers. People comment on our articles. They help each other with their travels. And when I put up the thing about Malta, a wonderful travel writer who lives in Budapest said that she's been having a problem. She's an American citizen. She was vaccinated here. But Budapest does not recognize her CDC vaccine card, and that stops her from being allowed to go into a lot of places. So she's allowed to be in in Hungary, but she can't go into, say, stadiums or theaters or other places where there may be crowds of people because she is not 
uh, what's the word? She is not considered vaccinated because she does not have the Hungarian <laughs> or the EU vaccination card. Interestingly, France recently announced that all of its citizens would have to be vaccinated in order to go into restaurants, in order to go to theme parks, in order to go to public swimming pools or museums. And it's unclear what France will do with all of its visitors. Will they accept American CDC cards? The consulate has something up that was so surprising to me because it wasn't the official line. The U.S. consulate in France wrote, we have heard that some people are able to go to pharmacies or go to doctor's offices, show them the CDC card and get that doctor or pharmacist to give them the French QR code, which then allows them to go to different places. Now, we have a little time with this. Yes, they have input uh, the regulations for some places in France. Uh, but starting August 1st is when the lion's share of the regulations will be put into place. And after that point, you won't be allowed to ride a train in France without proof of vaccination or go to a shopping center or go inside a restaurant. So that's going to make life complex for travelers. I'm hoping the French will figure it out. Uh, Greece has the same issue, but just with restaurants. So it's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, there are so many different legs to this octopus of a pandemic. And when you think you've got your mind around it and what the potential issues could be for travelers, another unexpected one pops up. But we always are covering them at fromers.com. That's what we do. So please visit us there before you travel anywhere. Unlike so many other sites, our only client is you, the listener, the reader. We, we have lots of ads on our site, and they're very obviously ads because we never put ads within the content. You're not going to find any quote-unquote native advertising on Fromers.com. Nobody pays to have an article written about them. So with that being said... I thank you so much for listening. And to those who are traveling, as always, a hearty bon voyage.